and left yourself in Make good on a promise Never heard again If you lost and loaded You're broken down Bring all of your trouble Come down, down Hey guys, and welcome to Kaisis a podcast about living our new life in the New Covenant Age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine kitesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host, Osvaldo Valdez, and let me welcome Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Well, Osvaldo, as we begin the wrap-up, chapter 7 is sort of the long conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm noticing that we're going to be done with this season right around when you graduate from college. Yeah, super excited about that. Not not the season ending, the, the graduation <laughs> part. Right, so it'll be a nice break for you both ways. Yeah. Well, and that's what chapter 7 is. It's It's a a summary wrap-up of everything that's been said in the sermon, beginning with our passage today, uh, chapter 7, 1 through 6. So Osvaldo, I'll ask you to read that. Yes, it reads, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, take first the, the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So the question about this passage is, how does this fit in the sermon? We've been talking about some different topics, then all of a sudden, do not judge. Well, remember that the sermon is the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. We've seen how to enter the kingdom and then how to live in the kingdom, how God's people will be changed by the Spirit through the gospel uh, to live. And, and we've seen how it all starts in the heart. We're not given a long list of do's and don'ts, but principles of love and honesty um, commitment in marriage, prayer, not showing off, etc. And the theme that's tying this together in the kingdom of heaven through Christ's work, God becomes very personally our Father. And so we live for God. So through all this, all of a sudden we get to verse 1 in chapter 7, do not judge, lest you be judged. So why would this follow everything? Well, the Lord knows our human nature, and we saw with the disciples, they're always comparing and competing. Hmm. Think of, um, they're always arguing, who is the greatest? Or when they see the one man ministering that they don't know, Lord, should we stop him from ministering? Or we think of no. P Peter, even after the resurrection, how long will John live? And of course, Jesus says... Um, what is that to you? And so the Lord knows our human nature is, we're, as Christians even, we're always comparing and judging. We're very competitive. So the reality is we have enough to work on and think about, repent of, pray for. 
um, from the sermon thus far. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord pauses and, and warns us of the danger of focusing where we think others fall short of everything we've read. Yeah. Focusing on way, where they do not do this or do not do it as well as we do. And so that's, it comes because of this tendency we have in us. Any comment on this tendency in humanity? It's it's funny, Pastor, because, um, you know, going to school, and I'm pretty sure our audience can definitely relate to this, is that strangers or friends that, who are non-Christian, they may not know little to nothing about Christianity or, or theology, but they do know that Christians are extremely judgy. You know, that's that's the, that's the one distinctive that that they that they hold on to. And it's kind of, it's kind of unfortunate, you know, because what I what I really like about your introduction is that this this statement about not judging it's always within the new the new the, the king a kingdom context within the context of Jesus bringing the new creation where His Spirit is now in operation um, in in the world, and I think that's that's an important clarification and distinction because this has happened before in some other topics where where we may be. There's, there may be a lot of overlap with with the world. Like, for example, we we don't believe that judging is good, and we're about to define what we mean by that. That statement in and of itself, you know, people in the world, non Christians, can agree with that. But the difference is once again that we are we are we are speaking this subject within the context of the kingdom of God, within the context of God's Spirit dwelling in people's heart, renewing them and transforming them, making them more like Christ within the context of Jesus having died for his people. You know, there's a greater context that sometimes gets thrown out the window by both Christians and non-Christians whenever we're engaging with this topic as it relates to Jesus or the gospel. Yeah, good point. Yeah, this is kingdom. This is how people treat each other in the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. So there's two definitions of judge in the Bible, and one means discern. And that's when you make a value judgment of right or wrong or discern when somebody is lying or etc. And then there's a second definition, which is to condemn, which is to assume we know the heart of another and even to have glee in seeing where they don't measure up compared to us. It's the critical attitude that we are better, more obedient. And, and that it's the second definition that Jesus is speaking of here in judge. He's not saying do not discern right and wrong. He's saying, do not be harsh toward other believers and arrogant about yourself that you apply the sermon better than they do. And so it comes with a warning. Do not judge lest you be judged. And of course, the inference is, is judged by God. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've seen this already, haven't we? If you refu- refuse to forgive, God will not forgive you. So we have the same idea here. If you judge, God will judge you. Now, the Lord is speaking of lifestyles here, of a way of life. He's not speaking of if, you know, you judge somebody, then you repent of it. I shouldn't have done that. Um, it's, it's not that now you're under God's judgment. He's speaking of lifestyles where you live with such a critical spirit that you're showing you don't really believe in the gospel. So this is such a danger because, yeah, I mean, you've talked about your teen years struggling with judging. judging. It takes a while to get um, to see this as a sin, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, as, as a 
you know, as a kid, my I was, you know, classic fundamentalist kid, right? Like, no, like, no, no secular anything, right? Like, no Harry Potter, no Pokemon, no, like, you know, you know, all that stuff. But like, as a kid, you know, there's no conviction behind them. You just, uh, when I was talking to other kids my age, I was just essentially jealous that they got to do these things and not tell them not to do them. Not, not because I was convicted, it's because I was jealous that they were allowed to and I wasn't. But it got really bad because when I got to high school, you know, I would say that I became a Christian in high school, in 10th grade. That's when I became a Christian. And and there was this like misplaced zeal. Well, we all have that initial excitement and and with no little to no guidance, you you think you you know everything. And and I think Calvinists have the same thing, you know, that cage stage where you just think you're you're the real deal and everyone else sucks, you know. Your your lifestyle is best and your and everyone's lifestyle sucks. But Whatchamacallit? Yeah, it got really bad. During like our youth group, I was the guy that was, you know, criticizing, you know, I'd go up to like girls, Pastor, and tell them like the way you're dressing is not godly. Oh, really yeah. bad. It got really bad. I was the guy that went up to like couples in, in our church, like, oh, you shouldn't be dating, you should be courting, you know, because like dating means you're just, you know, lustful or whatever, or you're just think that marriage is is um what would you call it, like like nothing. You don't care about purity anyways like you know my, my own little 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 dumb rant and and it took time right because you, you think this is the way you're so self-centered what well, you, you think it's humbleness is actually like a huge pride and it took me a long a long time and it's something i'm still working on right i'm still it's not not that i'm free of it but something that i realize is that it's, it's sometimes easier to point out other people's imperfections than your own so you seem to project that insecurity apart from, you know, the, the already sinful disposition that we have of comparing ourselves to be greater than others. So you pretty much knew as a teenager, if somebody didn't watch the latest Bible Man episode, they weren't safe. <laughs> no, that, that that was part of the kid era. That wasn't part of the high school era, Pastor. Okay. okay. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, though. No. I, I can't. No. Thank God I never got that bad during high school. Yeah. That's funny. Wow. We're, we're all glad you were rescued out of that. Yeah, because we know the the, 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 the better way to put it is I'm being rescued. You know, it's it's always a continuous struggle. I'm pretty sure for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And so the Lord uses an illustration, and it's a very graphic, even a gross illustration. That's obviously hyperbole of the speck and the log. The speck in your own eyes would be a splinter of wood that a carpenter would get, and then the log is pretty much what it sounds like. It was a plank or a rafter. And so the image is ridiculous of imagining a plank in someone's, you know, sticking out of someone's eye that you don't even notice, but you see the speck in someone else's eye. But mm -hmm. it's purpo it's purposely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, and so the idea is how can you assume to correct everyone else but not see your own sin, which is really obvious? And so the log would represent the pride and the trust in self. And when you know legalists, you know that they're so judgmental that they never see their own sins. Everyone else sees it. Yeah. You know, their arrogance, their pride. Everyone sees it, but they're so blind to it that the illustration really fits. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. Remember, a hypocrite is a fake. You say you walk with God. You say you believe in everything that's been said in this sermon but you haven't listened to anything in the sermon. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
So their self-reliance and pride shows they haven't really believed in the Sermon on the Mount so far. And so what, what we're learning here is the Sermon on the Mount, the point is that it's for each of us in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. We are to listen to this, to read this, and think about ourselves, our need for righteousness, our need for growth in these areas, our need to love our enemies. We apply it to ourselves. We don't read it and think, oh, so-and-so needs to work on this. Now, that doesn't mean we never correct, but if we correct somebody, we do it, as Galatians 6 says, gently, lest mm-hmm. we too fall. So we have to have that humble dependence on Christ that we know that we're weak just like everyone else. And so how we correct makes all the difference if we have to. And you know, you've been corrected by people who are arrogant and full of themselves. Mm-hmm. And and you've been corrected by people who realize they're weak. It, doesn't it make all the difference? Oh, yeah, Pastor, because whenever like an arrogant person um, corrects you, it's almost... I'm pretty sure some people can relate to a point where like it, it almost feel like for them it's like some sort of competition <laughs> it's like it's like them judging you is some sort of confirmation that they are doing better you know that they are the better person and it just makes you feel like like really like bad you know it's like because you, you, it's not beneficial you don't feel like you're being benefited like it, it generally feels like there's some sort of self gain from the person who's who's judging you but on the on the other side, you know, when, when a humble person um, judges you or corrects you, you know, like it's 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 you, you don't have to look for the fact that that they're humble. It's just so obvious in 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 the sense that like there's no self gain here. That dynamic being played here isn't one where like they're trying to put themselves over you or or, or humiliate you. They are generally trying to correct you for your own benefit. And 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 at least in my experience. The, mo- the, the most humble people, that's that's usually obvious. It's funny. Um, I, one of the jobs that I used to have, um, I worked at a warehouse making fireplaces. And I got that job from someone from a church that we used to go to. And when I say, Pastor, that like a lot of people from the church work there, we're talking about at least almost like 10 people from the church that I used to go to work there. So it was like you see them on Sundays and you see them like every day. And everyone has their different personality, right? Some people are a little bit more arrogant or, or humble than others. And if I messed up, especially when I was new, one person will come up and try to, you know, tell you how to do stuff. And some people really made you feel like, at least me, they made me feel stupid. They made me feel like I didn't know anything. But there was one brother, and to this day, you know, I, I hold him to the highest of esteems. I mean, when he, the one who worked there the longest, the one who who had every right to really humiliate me when I messed up. But whenever he corrected me, I mean, you could tell. And it was so obvious. It, it wasn't, there was no showing off. It was him. You're really trying to give me the opportunity to, to overcome my own challenges and, and be a better worker. And it's, you could tell the, the difference is stark. And that motivates you to improve even more, doesn't it? Yeah, because like, once again, they don't come at you with this competitive spirit. They're, they're really trying to help you grow. And so this, when, in, in other words, I feel like arrogant people judging at the end, it just becomes even a bigger obstacle for the person being corrected to actually grow. Yeah. Well, that brings us to verse six. Verse verse six has proven very difficult, not as much what it means in itself, but why did Jesus say this at this time? How does this fit in to do not judge? The image is you have something that is sacred, um, 
and in the context here, it'd be consecrated food that was given to the priests only. And the priests weren't supposed to throw it out to dogs, nor were you supposed to throw it out to dogs when it belonged to the priest. It was consecrated. It was sacred. And dogs were considered unclean scavengers. And the same idea with valuable pearls. You don't throw them out to unclean animals like swine. But the question is, what does it mean? And what does it mean in the context? The early church used to quote this all the time. And they used it in reference to not giving the Lord's Supper to those who were not ready. And so you've mentioned before their catechism classes or their what we would call membership classes to be uh, baptized would take sometimes up to a year or two. Yeah. And they would still warn, um, don't throw what is holy to dogs. Don't give them the supper mm-hmm. if they're not ready. Now, that's true. But that's not really the point here in the context of the sermon. The holy thing is everything that's come before in the sermon. The holy thing is the kingdom of heaven that's been explained, the teaching of the kingdom, the gospel, um, what, what you are hearing. So in the context of not judging and correcting only when you can gently correct, he says, if you're going to correct, if you're going to explain the gospel, If you're going to explain the sermon, use discernment on who you explain it to. If people are antagonistic, if they're closed, they don't want to hear it, do not force it because they will simply profane what you say. They will take these holy concepts that you've been learning. And if you force it and you throw it to people who aren't interested and they don't want it, then they will simply profane it. Now, we've seen this elsewhere in the Gospels, right? When Jesus said to the apostles, if anyone will not receive you, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave. No. In other words, don't stay there and force it. Move on. And so it makes sense in the context of the sermon, as he says, if you're going to correct, do it gently. But then don't correct people who don't want to hear it. That's another, you know, we think of modern um, applications would be don't stick Bible verses anywhere, everywhere, in places where they don't want it. Don't wear your religious T-shirts. Don't force conversations on religion. Correct unbelievers um, that don't want correction. Um, You know, correcting them with the Sermon on the Mount. Then you're taking what is holy and throwing it to people who don't have the Holy Spirit, they're not interested in it, and they're just going to profane it. Um, And so if you push people, if you force religion on them when they don't want it, you're taking what is holy, and you're throwing it to dogs who will trample and mock it. That's the point. And I'm sure we could come up, and I'm going to ask you to come up with a a few how American Christians are just so bad at this, aren't they? Uh, yeah. Um, for some reason, um, American Christians like to evangelize in the most like uncomfortable spaces ever. You know, for example, like the mall. I'm not saying like you shouldn't evangelize in public places, but like, you know, if people are trying to shop at Nike or, you know, like they're trying to spend some time with their family, they they, they generally don't want to have a, a 30, 40 an hour conversation with you about 
how they're sinful. And usually these conversations are not friendly. They're like you said, they're forced and, 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 and you're at a mall for crying out loud, you know? And so people are a little bit embarrassed, but you, but you force the conversation to continue. Yeah. That's one. Um, two, yeah, I've been in situations where like people are like, yeah, we're not going to leave until we get like a sinner's prayer. And some people, I kid you not, Pastor, like I've had people where like they, they generally wanted us to leave. So, right, if I say the prayer, we got to leave. Yeah, and then we say the prayer and we leave. Um, I'm trying to think about something else. Oh, it's so funny. Whenever, whenever we visit, like, for example, mosques, like mosques are really open to Christian visitors or anything, but it's usually encouraged, right? You know what? You don't, you don't want to be up to people's faces about your religion. They know who's a visitor, who's not. But some people, you know, they want to wear John 316 or a huge Jesus saves while they're trying to like visit a mosque or something. You know, it's kind of like, why, why force it? You know, is there genuinely no other means by which you could communicate the gospel or have a conversation with someone? Any other examples? Yeah, I'm thinking how, you know, Christians like non-Christians were not ready for social media. Oh, yeah. It it hit very fast. That technology came to us. And I think it's going to take years for people to learn how to use it. And so, you know, they're always rebuking and mocking and attacking non-Christians for this and that who really don't want to hear it. Yeah. So they're, they're they're taking these holy things of God, and they're throwing it to dogs to be profaned. And you know, and some people will say, "Well, what about Paul in Athens, or you know, Paul on Mars Hill, the Areopagus?" Well, that was a place that it was expected that you brought your theology. Yeah, Paul was invited to speak. He wasn't out there yelling and forcing it on people. Um. This was a platform where you're supposed to, it was expected. Yeah. So, you know, and, and some people talk about, what about street preaching? And for me personally, and I know this will probably offend some people, I don't like it. Mm. Like you said, I don't like when people are out to go shopping, that you're yelling at them, that they need to repent for their sins or they'll no. go to hell. That's not the context. They're not asking. We're not. We're not serving them in any way. It's um, it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I guess God can use it, of course. But yeah, I look at this passage and I see it telling us to be discerning. Yeah, uh, ask you know, ask the Lord for God to open hearts that they will ask questions and there'll be opportunities, so we don't have to force it where they'll end up, you know, mocking it and yeah. and then you know persecuting Christians unnecessarily. You know, so I, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's kind of going on the street preaching one. It's interesting because like for some reason people think that like militant approach to to uh, uh, evangelism is like the only way to get like to unbelievers. And especially you see that, like you said, you see that most evidently in like street preaching, which is why street preaching has such a like uh, just a negative reputation because it's just like telling people how much they they suck, right? But I've also seen it kind of been done very well. And I don't even know if it's like street preaching as, as it's known. But like I've seen I've seen people like put a stand on a public place where you should have a stand or something like that. And have a question. Do you have any questions about God or Christianity? And you'd be surprised how people are generally curious to ask or comment or have a conversation. And I've seen it. I've seen it work. I've seen it in like 
extremely secular places like U of H, U of H or Rice University, where you know a, a college Christian ministry sets up a table in a public space, and they're not yelling or anything. They just have a question: Hey, who do you think Jesus is? Something like that, and as an invitation, and people sometimes do engage. I don't know. All this to say that there's more than one way. There, the, the, the militant approach is not the default, you know, nor is it the only one. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, we just have to take this passage seriously that we're warned not to push our religion, our views on people simply because they should hear it or we feel like we have the right to say it. We are to be discerning to not throw what is holy to be trampled. And, and you know, and th this goes back to the passage that uh, like we always reference to kind of living quietly. That's that's usually Paul's exhortation to the churches. And it's interesting, Pastor, because he never, and th this is, once again, I say this very carefully, and, and like uh, in none of the epistles, I mean, Paul never tells him, hey, I want you to go out to the streets and preach. Not that like it isn't the church's responsibility to proclaim the gospel. That's not what Paul is saying. But, you know, part of living quietly is also not having <laughs> dozens or hundreds of people in the street just, you know, trying to grab whatever Greek or Roman person they can get and just get them to say some sinner's prayer for Paul is about living quietly. And I think that's, that's part of it. Uh, kind of what we're talking about here, not, not forcing your religion upon someone else. Yeah. And if this is difficult for some to hear because they're, they look at it more as a responsibility, just grapple with this text a little bit, think through why the Lord is saying that here and what it means for us. And, that that's probably a good place to stop for today. Anything else? Pascola? No, I think we. No. Those are pretty much my thoughts. All right, we have like four more sections of really summary of the entire Christian life that we'll get to in the next few weeks. And thanks for being with us. All you rich and the high above, all of those and wind I love. All you burning, broken down, all of your troubles, come lay them down, come lay them down.